Amen. All right, well, we're there in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, and I'd like you to keep your place right there. We're going to come right back to it, but if you would, go with me to the book of Leviticus, the Old Testament book of Leviticus. You have Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, of course, at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 26, and uh, keep your place right there in 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to come right back to it, and as you turn there, uh, I'll just give you a little bit of the introduction. Of course, we are continuing uh, through our series entitled The Seven Habits of Highly Effective uh, Christians. And this was a series that we were supposed to do on Sunday mornings. It was going to take us seven weeks to go through it. And when we went to live stream only, I decided to just go ahead and preach all of the sermons, just back to back. And we've been doing that. And if you remember, uh, we've been looking at these uh, habits. And the series is, is based off a book called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And um, I read this book, uh, and I, I had it for our leadership class. And as I was reading through it and going through the seven habits, every time I read about a new habit, just a biblical principle popped out at me. Uh, and I thought, man, this would make a great series. So we've been kind of taking this idea from this book, but we've been, of course, applying it through Scripture. And if you remember, we started with habit number one, which was to be proactive. And we're talking about being effective, how to be an effective Christian and how to live an effective life. The word effective means adequate to accomplish a purpose, producing the intended or expected result. And I don't know about you, but in my life, I want to be adequate to accomplish the purpose that God has uh, given me. I want to be able to produce the intended or expected result in my life. So we talked about habit one being proactive, and we learned about taking the initiative and putting in effort. You've got to be proactive in life. Then we uh, talked about beginning with the end in mind, and this is really about living with purpose and uh, living your life on purpose, with purpose, in a way that you want to end your life. And then, of course, we talked about uh, habit three, putting first things first. And that takes us from purpose to priority, living our lives with priority. And the first three habits have to do with personal victory, being able to be just a, in your personal life, having victory and being able to be, uh, to be successful and accomplish things. Then we transitioned into the next three habits. Habit four was think win-win. And we talked about uh, living a life where we want to see other people succeed around us. We want to live in such a way that we esteem others better than ourselves. If you remember on Wednesday, I preached a sermon called Seek First to Understand, Then to Be Understood. And we talked about uh, conflicts and relationships. And hopefully uh, you've been keeping up with us. And if you haven't, uh, of course, all of the sermons are on our website and our YouTube channel. And I'd encourage you to catch up on those. Uh, this morning, we are looking at habit number six, and habit number six is called synergize, synergize. And, uh, you know, I, sometimes I feel like the Lord just kind of plans things out uh, for us uh, better than we can plan things out because we shut down church for a while, and then we came back this week, and, and we came back this week just because as we talked to people, it seemed like most people were getting better or feeling comfortable uh, with coming back. But honestly, I can't think of a better sermon to preach when we are coming back to church than to preach on the subject of synergy or habit number six to synergize. Now, for many people, uh, you may not be aware of what that word means or what the, the concept there. So I'll just go ahead and read to you a uh, definition. I'll read to you the definition from the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He says this. He says, what is synergy? Simply defined, it means that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And that's the definition. And in fact, you know, of course, we always encourage you to take notes. And on the back of your course, 
course of the week, there's a place for you to write down some things. And I would encourage you to just write down that definition so you can kind of understand it, because that's what we're going to be talking about today. Synergy means that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Synergy means that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Let me read to you another definition. This is just from uh, Google. It defines synergy as this, the interaction or cooperation of two or more organizations, substances, or other agents to produce a combined effect greater than the sum of their separate effects. It is the interaction or cooperation of two or more organizations, substances, or other agents that produce a combined effect greater than the sum of their separate effects. And here's what it means. It means that you can put things together that will produce more, that will accomplish more than they would on their own. And I, and I, and I want to just kind of explain this to you a little bit. We're going to jump into Leviticus 26 here in a minute. But let me read to you another excerpt uh, here from the book just to kind of help you understand. Uh, it says this, Synergy is everywhere in nature. If you plant two plants close together, the roots commingle and improve the quality of the soil so that both plants will grow better than if they were uh, planted separately. If you put two pieces of wood together, they will hold much more than the total of the weight held by each separately. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. This is what synergy means. Synergy means that we can accomplish more together than anything that we could accomplish apart from each other, that we can do more, that we can get more done together. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Now, I had you go to the book of Leviticus because I wanted to show you kind of a spiritual application to synergy. Because, of course, this is true of sports teams. This is true of businesses. But this is very true of a church. But with a church, you have the spiritual aspect. You have spiritual synergy. And in Leviticus 26, we kind of find an example of this. I want you to notice it. Look at verse number 7. Leviticus chapter 26 and verse number 7. The Bible says this, And ye, and this is, of course, God speaking to the nation of Israel, and this is God speaking to the whole nation, and how God is going to bless and use them. Notice what he says. He says, And ye shall chase your enemies, and they shall fall before you by the sword. Notice verse 8. Here's synergy. He says, and five of you shall chase an hundred, and an hundred of you shall, ch- uh, ch- uh, shall put ten thousand to flight, and your enemies shall fall before you by the sword. And here, God is saying, I'm going to come up alongside you, and I'm going to give you spiritual synergy. He says, five of you are going to chase an hundred. Now, the truth is this. One of you could not fight off 20 individuals on your own. But when five of you come together, synergy kicks in, God's spiritual synergy kicks in, and he says the whole becomes greater than the sum of its parts, and it comes to the place where five soldiers are able to chase a hundred, and in hundred are able to put 10,000 to flight. So when we're speaking about synergy, we're speaking about this idea that we can do more, that we can accomplish more, that, uh, that there's more that can be done as a whole than if all of us were to go our separate ways and try to do it on our own. Now go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And here's the point. The point is this. That we will accomplish more together than we could on our own. 
Even if all of us decided, you know what, we don't need church, we don't need to be part of a local church, we don't need to be part of a congregation, let's just all go our separate ways, but we're all going to continue to serve God, we're all going to continue to do everything that we're still doing, we're all going to continue to go soul winning, we're all going to continue to read our Bibles, we're all going to continue to live for God. Synergy teaches us that we will actually accomplish less, even if we're all still doing everything we're doing, we'll accomplish less separately than we would together. Now, uh, I'm going to give you several statements, and I want you to maybe write these down. Number one, a church is a synergistic organization. A church is a synergistic organization. I want you to notice we're there in 1 Corinthians 12. And of course, 1 Corinthians 12 is one of those great chapters uh, in the book of 1 Corinthians that has a theme and has a theme of the local church. And I want you to notice that he uses this illustration of a church as a body. And in, in fact, sometimes we refer to uh, uh, people that are a part of our church as church members. And here in 1 Corinthians 12, he refers to them as members, but he's not talking about church members like what we would think of an organization. He's using the word members as a body part. And he's saying that God has brought these body parts together. Notice 1 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse number 18. And obviously there's a lot here we could look at, but look down at verse number 18. He begins by talking about the fact that every member has a unique placing in the body. Notice verse 18. But now hath God, notice, but now hath God set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. The Bible teaches that God places every member in the body and every member has a unique place in that body. Notice, it doesn't say that uh, the hand decided what body it was going to be a part of or the foot decided what body it was going to be a part of. He says, God hath set the members, every one of them, in the body as it hath pleased him. Look down at verse number 24. Notice 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 24. He says, For our comely parts have no need. Now notice these words. But God hath Tempered. You see the word tempered there? That's an older word. It means to mix. It means amalga, they, uh, uh, amalga, good night. amalgamation. It means to bring things together. It says, God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to the parts which he liked. So here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God brings members, and God's will is to bring church members together in a body. You know, when you got saved, God immediately had a will for you to be part of a local New Testament church. I mean, God's work is done in this world through the local New Testament church. Now, I realize that because of sickness, because of viruses and diseases, you know, sometimes when people get sick and uh, we may need to just not congregate for a little while and make sure everybody gets better and gets uh, well before we congregate again and we realize, but you have to realize that that is something that maybe is done temporarily to try to keep everybody healthy and strong. But you know that God's will is for you to be part of a local church? God's will, in fact, the Bible says that God set the members, every one of them, in the body. That God set the members and God put you in a body. What I believe is this, that there is a church that God wants you to be a part of. There is a church that God wants to place you into, that he's made you a member, a body part, and he has tempered you in that body. I believe as local New Testament uh, believers that 
Our whole lives should be surrounded by the will of God. Our lives, the Bible says, uh, which is Christ. And what that means is that it should be surrounded by the body. You know that your social life should be surrounded by lo- the local New Testament church? I mean, your friends. You say, who are your friends as, 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 as believers? Well, look, you ought to be friendly to your coworkers. You ought to be friendly with your neighbors. But you know that your close-knit friends ought to be part of the local New Testament church? You say, why? Because God has tempered the body together. Because God has brought the body together. He put the body. He mixed it together. Every member has a unique placing in the body. Why is that? Because every member has a unique purpose in the body. Notice verse 17. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? Notice what he says uh, in verse 19. And if they were all one member, where were the body? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, a body's not made up of one body part. You don't look, look at somebody's body and it's just one big ear. You know, one big eye. One big nose. One big foot. He says, look, a body, what makes a body is the fact that you bring body parts together, that God mixes, that God tempered the body together. He puts them together. He says, otherwise, you're not a body. Look at verse 20. But now are they many members, yet but one body. See, everyone performs a task within the body, and not everyone performs the same task. And that's the beauty of a local church is that God brings us together and God, you know, I'm always amazed at Verity Baptist Church because there's so many things that we accomplish here that I couldn't do, that even the staff guys, we couldn't do. There's so many gifts, there's so many uh, 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 just skills that people bring to this church that allows us to do a lot of different things, allows us to be able to minister in different ways. Why? Because there are many members, yet there is one body. Look at verse 21. He says this, And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. And sometimes in church world, people get to the place where they say, well, I don't like this church member. I I don't want this church member around me. I don't need this church member. Well, listen to me. You're not God. God is the one that has brought this uh, group together. God is the one that has tempered this group together. And I can't say of you, you know, I have no need of you. I have, uh, uh, you know, I don't want you to be part of the body. And look, you should never get to the place where you develop these cliques where it's like, we're going to make somebody feel uncomfortable. We're going to make somebody not feel welcome. Hey, you can't say this person doesn't belong here. Obviously, are there times to throw people out of church? The Bible teaches that. Are there times that people need to go? The Bible's clear about that. But it's not just based off of who you like or who rubs you the wrong way, or who annoys you. He says, look, the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Notice verse 22. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feble are necessary. You know, here's what he's saying. He's saying everyone is needed because you serve a unique purpose within the body. And look, if you realize that God brought you here, that God tempered you here, that God mixed you here for a specific service, then you could find, you would search that, what is it that I'm supposed to do within the body? Look, your life as a Christian ought to revolve around the local New Testament church. You ought to raise your kids around the local New Testament church. 
You gotta live your life around the local New Testament. You know, today people they they revolve their lives around their career. I mean, people will move across the country for a job. They'll move across the country to go to a university, to go to a college. But then somebody moves around across the country to go to church, and people are like, "Are you in a cult?" But look, if God has mixed the body, if God has brought it together, if God has tempered, and sometimes people, I just got an email today, you know, and it's not really, you know, I should probably stop checking my emails on Sunday mornings <laughs> because it's not really the most encouraging thing. But I got an email today from somebody saying, you know, I just, uh, we really like Verity Baptist Church, we really like you, Pastor, but there's certain things, you know, about what we believe or whatever that they're not comfortable with and they're not coming back. And you know, you say, well, what, you, what, what do you do when you look at that? You know what I think to myself is this, if this isn't the church for you, that's fine, but you know what, there is a church for you. You don't just get to choose, you know, oh, whatever church I want to go to. No, God has brought the body. He has tempered the body together. So you say, you know, what, what would you reply to that individual? I would reply to them, hey, if Verity Baptist Church isn't for you, that's fine. But you know what? You need to find a church to be a part of. You need to figure out what is the church that's for you. What's the church that God, look, do you believe the Bible when it says that God set the members, every one of them, in the body? That God has a will for you? That God has decided, look, I want to put you somewhere where I can use you, where your life can be used. The Bible says, the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. The Bible says that the foot cannot say, I have no need of you. The Bible says that they are, notice the last part of verse 22, are necessary. You know this, that you are not indispensable? You know that? You are not indispensable. What does that mean? That means that we can and we will go on without you. Do you know that? I would hope, I would, I would hope that Verity Baptist Church would go on without me. I would hope that Pastor Jimenez is not indispensable. I would hope that if I drop dead of coronavirus tomorrow, <laughs> you know, that, that this church would go on. That men would step up and lead and, and, and uh, take this church, uh, continue on. Because in the body, you are not indispensable. And what we mean by that is that we will go on without you. And you know, the truth about church life is this, that people come and go. People come and go. Over the last 10 years, I've said this before, I felt like I've probably pastored like five different churches. I felt like I've started five different churches. I feel like I've started two churches this year. You know, uh, people, sometimes they come and go. You are not indispensable. But please understand this. Just because you are not indispensable does not mean that you are replaceable. We will go on without you. If you get backslidden and leave, if you get backslidden and go, we will go on without you. But you know what? We will never replace you. Because it's like losing. The illustration that God gives, it's like losing a limb. It's like losing a body part. I mean, if I, if I was in a tragic accident and I lost my right hand, would, that, would my life just be over? No, you know what? The truth is I would go on, right? I would go on without my hand. I would continue to try to serve God and, and, and live life to the fullest. But you know what? I would go on without my hand. I, I, my hand's not indispensable to my life, but it's also not replaceable. I can't just get somebody else's hand. Do you understand that? See, the Bible teaches that every member has a unique purpose for the body. Every member has a unique placing in the body. And the idea is this, that a church, a church is a synergistic organization. God has brought us together. Why? Because the whole, 
the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Go to the book of Acts, if you would. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And look at verse number 15. Let me give you a second statement. I kind of want to build this up for you and, and help you understand this. I said, number one, a church is a synergistic organization. Meaning every member has a unique placing in the body. And every member has a purpose for the body. Number two, a church will accomplish more through synergy. A church will accomplish more through uh, synergy. Acts chapter 9, and look at verse number 15. Acts chapter 9 and verse 15, the Bible says this, But the Lord said unto him, Now this is Jesus speaking, of course, this is after the resurrection. This is after the ascension. This is Jesus speaking to Ananias about... Paul. And I want you to notice what he says. He says, but the Lord said unto him, go thy way, he, now this is Paul, he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Notice verse 16, for I will show him, notice these words, how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. All right. Now this is Jesus speaking about a man named Saul, who will later become known as the Apostle Paul, and he's talking about all the things that the Apostle Paul is going to do. And by the way, Paul did all these things. He said, to bear my name before the Gentiles, Paul did that. Paul went to the Gentiles, and he planted churches, and he brought the gospel to uh, the Gentiles. In fact, I've said this before, if you're saved this morning, you owe your salvation. If you're saved and you're a Gentile, and I think probably everyone here is a Gentile, you know, you owe your salvation to the Apostle Paul. Paul brought the gospel to the Gentiles. But you know what? Paul also stood before kings. He also preached to the children of Israel. He did great things for God. In fact, the Apostle Paul was probably the most effective Christian, soul winner, church planner, evangelist, missionary, whatever you want to call him, Paul was the most effective one who ever lived. I mean, when we talk about someone taking the gospel and spreading it around the world, Paul literally took the gospel to the world. He took the gospel to the Gentile world. He took what Jesus, when Jesus said that his uh, disciples would do greater works than these, that's what the Apostle Paul did. He did great things for God. He accomplished much in his ministry. Go to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 6. You're there in Acts? Just go over to the book of Romans. And I often look at the Apostle Paul, and I, and, I, and I see him as an example of how effectively one man could be used of God, and the fact that God could do great things through one man, through one individual. But you know, the, the secret to Paul's success, you know what it was? The fact that he wasn't doing it on his own. In fact, the secret to Paul's success was synergy. And what's interesting is as as you read the epistles of the Apostle Paul, as you read the book of Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus, uh, Philemon, as 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 you read these epistles, you know what you'll constantly find the Apostle Paul doing? And maybe you haven't noticed this. But I would encourage you as you read through the, uh, you know, Paul's epistles in the future, I want you to be looking out for this. The fact that the Apostle Paul is constantly just naming people that have helped him in the ministry. He's talking about his fellow laborers, his fellow workers, his fellow prisoners. He's talking about people. He's just constantly dropping names 
of individuals that have helped him. In fact, Romans chapter 16 is probably the most obnoxious, if, if it's okay to use that word about Scripture. Romans 16 is probably the most obnoxious of these examples in the epistles of the Apostle Paul. Notice Romans 16. He's getting ready to end the book of Romans. And notice what he says, Romans 16 and verse 1. He says, I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church which is at St. Crea. Then he says this in verse 3, Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my helpers in Christ Jesus. Then he says in verse 5, Likewise greet the church that is in their house. Salute my well-beloved Epinatus, who is the firstfruits of Ikea unto Christ. Notice verse 6. Greet Mary, who bestowed much labor on us. Look at verse 7. Salute Adronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, who are of note among the apostles, who also were in Christ before me. Notice verse 8. Greet Amplius, my beloved in the Lord. Notice verse 9. Salute Urbani, our helper in Christ, and Stachys, my beloved. Notice verse 10. Salute Apelles, approved in Christ. Salute them which are of Aris. Uh, Tobolus household. Notice verse 11. Salute Herodian, my kinsman. Greet them that be of the household of Narcissus, which is uh, which are in the Lord. Notice verse 12. Salute Tryphena and Tryphosa, who labor in the Lord. Salute the beloved Persis, which labored much in the Lord. Notice verse 13. Salute Rufus, chosen the Lord, and his mother and mine. Notice verse 14. Salute Asyncritus, uh, Phlegon, Hermes, uh, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brethren which are with them. Notice verse 15. Salute uh, Philologus, and Julia, and Nerysus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints which are with them. And sometimes when you read this, you think, what is the point of this? Why would God put this in Scripture? Just the Apostle Paul, just a roll call of name after name after name after name after name. He does it in Romans. He does it in the other epistles. He's constantly saying, you know, uh, thank this person and look out for this person and bring me this person and send me this person. And sometimes you wonder, you say, well, why would God put that in Scripture? But you know, I believe that God put that in Scripture to show us something that Paul was not a one-man show. Paul was not just out there on his own, you know, accomplishing great things. You and I look at Paul and we say, wow, what a man, what a success, what an amazing Christian, what an effective man to accomplish so much in his life. But you know what? I believe that if you and I walked up to Paul and said, Paul, how did you accomplish so much? You know what he would say? He would say, I didn't accomplish anything on my own. He said, I had a whole army of people around me. I had a whole uh, host of Christians around me. And Paul says, you know, as a leader, sometimes maybe people give me uh, more of the attention. But the truth is that Phoebe was there and Priscilla was there and Aquila was there. And he would go through the names and he would give the names and he would say, hey, these are the people. You say, what was Paul's secret to success? I believe it was synergy. The fact that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. The fact that Paul was able to accomplish more with all these people helping him than he would have ever been able to accomplish on his own. Because a church, you say, what are we trying to do here at Verity Baptist Church? Well, you know, something that we want to do is to produce synergy. In fact, I spent eight weeks preaching on uh, revival. And honestly, synergy is just a you know, business-type term that would be used to, to replace the biblical term revival. Because what is revival? Revival is synergy. Revival is when we all together, as a whole, accomplish more and uh, do more when the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Go to the book of, uh, you're there in Romans 16, go back to Romans chapter number 10. Let me just give you an example of this. 
Because, you know, I get a lot of calls all across the country, all across the world. The Lord has blessed our ministry and allowing us to impact and influence a lot of people. And sometimes people call me and they'll say, you know, what should I do? I have the closest independent Baptist church is an hour and a half away, two hours away, three hours away. I mean, I hear this all the time. Whenever I travel places and I preach places, people, I'll meet people and say, what should I do? The closest church is three hours away. And I always say the same thing. Drive to church. Get yourself there. Because God, look, God has placed you in the body. You say, oh, well, the, the three-hour drive is, is too far. Then move there. Well, that's a little extreme. No, you know what? God, look, do you realize that God, that Jesus loved the church, gave himself for the church, he's the head of the church, he sacrificed for the church, he builds the church. Hey, the work of God is done through the local church. So uh, people say, no, well, you know what? Uh, here's what I think. And, and I hear this all the time. People say, here's what I think. I'm going to just live stream the services and then just go soul winning on my own. And you know what? If you're doing that for two weeks because of coronavirus, fine. If you're doing that for a couple of weeks because of coronavirus, fine. But if you think that you're going to live stream services and go soul winning on your own and live for God on your own, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. You say, oh, well, I don't think you should say that, Pastor. I mean, you don't know how uh, serious I am, and you don't know how authentic I am, and you don't know how much I love the Lord. Let me tell you something. It doesn't matter how much you love the Lord. You will not serve God apart from the local church, period. Hey, look, I'm here to tell you. You're looking at Pastor Jimenez, who is right with the Lord, who loves God, who loves soul winning, who's taught soul winning, who's trained soul winning. I've written a soul winning seminar uh, to help people that's trained people all over this country on soul winning. And I'm here to tell you, I wouldn't go soul winning apart from the local church. You won't go soul winning apart from the local church. It won't happen. In fact, let me just say this, and, and, and I hope you don't take this the wrong way, and I just want to use an illustration. This church will not go soul winning apart from the organization of this church. Say, well, how do you know that? I've seen it. I mean, a few, you know, our church at its strength, and right now we're in a state of rebuilding, but our church at its strength has had averages between 80 and 90 soul winners. When we are at our strength, when we're back to normal, we'll average somewhere between 80 and 90 soul winners. Last week we got back to soul winning after a couple of weeks of being out, and we had 67 soul winners, about you know, 10, 15, 20 soul winners less than we normally do. We usually are somewhere between 80 and 90. And I hope that one day we'll be at 100 and 120 and 150 and 200 uh, soul winners. You know, this church is a soul winning machine. But let me tell you something, and please don't take this the wrong way. And I'm not saying this to beat up on anybody, but I do want you to understand something. We went through, uh, I don't know what it was, two months, the first time we shut down, a two-month period, where we told people, hey, find your own partner, Go to a park, you know, come pick up the resources. We'll give you the folders. We'll make the folders. We'll do it all for you and go soul winning. And, you know, as far as I know, during those two months of soul winning, our church averaged about 20 soul winners. Now, maybe there was more out there that never told us or never told, but just as far as the people who contacted us, who said, hey, we're going or we need resources, whatever, we averaged for those two months about 20 soul winners. You say, why? Because... We didn't have any organization. We were just telling you, hey, just kind of do it on your own. Just find a park. Just do it. We had about 20 soul owners. Now, here's the thing. Praise the Lord for those 20 soul owners. That's still more than the average soul winner, you know, Baptist church has. You know, it's funny, though. As soon as we started church back up and we said, hey, we're having a soul winning meeting. Show up to the meeting. We're going to partner you. We're going to give you a map. We're going to put the resources in your hand. We're going to send you out. We had 80 soul winners, 90 soul winners. 
You say, why is that? Well, look, don't, I'm not saying that to beat you up. That's what the Bible says. Are you there in Romans 10? Look at verse 14. It says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Look at verse 15. And how shall they preach except they be sent? Look, the Bible says the only way that that soul winners are going to go out and preach is if they are organized, is if they are motivated, if they are mobilized in a local church and they are sent. He says, how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. And, and look, this is just an illustration. And again, I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm just, I'm just trying to help you understand. It. This is just an illustration, but this is true of everything. You say, I get up and read the Bible every day. But you know what? The truth is that you will likely not read the Bible if you're not part of a local church. You will likely not pray if you're not part of a local church. You will likely not give your tithes and offerings if you're not part of a local church. It is likely that you will not go soul winning. It is likely that you will not do the things that God has called you to do. You say, how can you say that? Because how shall they preach except they be sent? Because God has instituted the local church. You say, why? Because the local church brings with it synergy. Synergy means that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. You know what I believe? I believe this, that I will raise better children, that I will have a better marriage, that I will have a stronger walk with God by being part of a local church than I ever could on my own. Because the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Because you will accomplish more. Because we will accomplish more together than we ever could on our own. So I said, number one, a church is a synergistic organization. Every member has a unique placing in the body. And every member has a unique purpose for the body. And I said, number two, a church will accomplish more through synergy. Look, it's not Pastor Jimenez up here. You know, it's not, sometimes people, they make too much of the leaders, and they think, oh, it's just Pastor Jimenez, or it's just this pastor, that pastor, and they're the ones that are preaching the sermons, and they're the ones that are doing all these great things. You know what? God has called a church. I believe that one day we're going to get to heaven, and people are going to be shocked how many rewards are given out to just the people that nobody knew their name, that their name was just mentioned in, a, in the last chapter of an epistle, and nobody knew them, and they weren't you know, on YouTube, and they weren't on anywhere, and nobody, but they were there, and they were serving, and they were part of a church. You say, why? Because the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Because a church will accomplish more. We will accomplish more together than we ever could on our own. Go, go to the book of Ecclesiastes, if you would. Keep your place right there in, uh, um, in, in 1 Corinthians and go to Ecclesiastes. From the center of the Bible, you have Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Now, let's just talk about practically speaking. You know, how is it that a church group set, is set up for synergy? You say, okay, synergy is the fact that the whole is greater than some of its parts. But let's talk about it. Here's point number three. A church, how is it that a church is set up for synergy? And I want to show you that the Bible teaches this concept of synergy in other places, not just in church world. And I want to show that to you here in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, look at verse 9. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says two are better than one. Two are better than one. You say, why? Here's why. Because the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And he's about to explain to us. Notice he says, because... Two are better than one. 
You say, why is that? He says, because, now here's what he's going to do. In verses 9 through 12, he's going to explain to us why it is that two are better than one. He says, here's why. Look at verse 10. Four, if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. You say, why is two better than one? Why is the whole greater than the sum of its parts? Why is that? Well, here's why. Because a group can support you. A group can help you. Notice verse 10. If they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. Notice what he says. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. You say, why is it that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts? Here's why. Because when you fall, there can be a fellow there. There can be somebody alongside you that helps you, that lifts you up. See, the truth is this. Sometimes you have heartaches, right? Sometimes you are discouraged. Hey, sometimes I'm discouraged. Sometimes we go through times where we want to quit. Sometimes we go through times where we feel defeated. Sometimes we go through times where we feel like, uh, like we just can't do it. We just fall. But you know the beautiful thing about a local church is that if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. That you can have friends. That you can have family around you that says, hey, let me help you up. That says, hey, let, let me be there uh, with you. Hey, let, let me be there for you. And, you know, sometimes people may think like, oh, I don't really need that. But, you know, you ask the people in this church that have gone through difficult times. You ask the people in this church that have had, you know, great trials in their lives, that have uh, gone through health problems or lost family or have had uh, issues. And you know what they always say? They always say it's amazing how the church family just comes alongside you, comes around you prays for you and provides meals and helps you. Why? Because look, the sum is greater than the, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. A group can support you. If they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Then he says this, he, he says not only can a group support you, but then he says a group can stimulate you. Look at verse 11. Again, he said, let's continue this idea. Why is two better than one? Here's why. Because if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And this is literally an example of synergy. Synergy is this, that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. You know that you will be warmer if you were out, you know, stranded in the middle of nowhere and it was you and somebody else, you know, at night when it was cold. You know that you will be warmer if you lie together? Then if you were to lie separately, that is literally an example of synergy. If two lie together, then they have heat. How can one be warm when, uh, how can one be warm alone? And I've used this example before. I think it was Brother Jose who gave me this example one time. If you think about a coal, you know, if you're grilling, you think about a coal. As long as, as long, you, you, you can get that going, you can get it warmed up, you can get, you know, the fire going, but the way that you really keep those coals hot is by having them all together, right? Mounting them up on top of each other. Hey, you get a bunch of hot coals together, they'll stay hot for a long time. You grab one of those coals and just put it off to the side, it's going to cool down pretty fast. That's the Christian life. That is synergy. That is, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. You know, the truth is this, that you will be stimulated, you will be encouraged by the local church. The Bible says in Proverbs 27, in verse 17, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friends. Your friends will support you. Your friends will stimulate you. Then he says this, your friends will strengthen you. Look at verse 12. 
And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. He says, if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. What is that? It's synergy. It's, it's the whole being greater than the sum of its parts. Look, your friends, your church can help you. Your church can encourage you. Your church can reinforce you. Look, you, there is more that can be done together. I can't think. I can't think of how many people have came to this church and they've had other church people just give them stuff. Just, you know, give them couches. Give them. I've had people give me couches. I've had people help me when we needed help. You know why? Because we can look out for each other. Because we can support each other. We can stimulate each other. We can strengthen each other. We can care for each other. We can encourage each other. We can be there for each other when we need it. Why? Because the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And you say, oh, I don't need anybody. I can do it on my own. You are proud and you are foolish to think that you can live the Christian life without the help of other believers in your life. A church can support you. It can stimulate you. It can strengthen you. There truly is strength in numbers. See, synergy is this. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And here's what I believe. I believe that in a church, that in a church, we can all accomplish way more for God, live more separated and sanctified lives for God, have better marriages, raise better children. I don't know if you understand this. I don't, I don't know if you understand this. And, and I pray that the Holy Spirit helps me to communicate these thoughts. But you know, you say, oh, well, you know, how does it help my marriage? You may not understand this, but just having your husband be around other godly men, just having him be around other godly men will help your marriage. Having your wife be around other godly children will help your, uh, uh, other godly wives will help your wife. I mean, the Bible teaches that the elder women should teach the younger women to love their husbands and to, and, and to live for God. Having your kids, having your kids around other kids that, that are being raised in the proper home. You say, you say oh, the, the benefit to church is the preaching. Look, there is a benefit with the preaching of God's word, but there is a greater benefit of just being around other people, God's people. Because why? Because a church group is set up for synergy. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Let me just show you a couple of things and we'll finish up. Look at Ecclesiastes 4 and verse 9. Notice the synergistic rewards. He says two are better than one. He says two are better than one. Then, then he explained to us why two are better than one. They're better than one because uh, if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. Because if they lie together, then they have heat. Because uh, if, if uh, one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. Then he says, but he says this in verse 9. He says two are better than one. Then he says this, because they have a good reward for their labor. What's he saying? He's saying is this. We will accomplish more together. We will accomplish more together. And then I love how he ends this idea of synergy in verse 12. He says, if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him. Then he says this, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. He says, two is better than one. And then he says this, but you know what's better than two? Three. You know what's better than three? Four. You know what's better than four? Forty. You know what's better than forty? A hundred. You know what's better than a hundred? A hundred and twenty. hundred and fifty. Two hundred. Why? Because God has instituted a church. And the strength of a church is this, synergy. Synergy means that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Go to the book of Philippians chapter 1, if you would. We'll finish up right here, Philippians chapter 1. 
If you kept your place in 1 Corinthians, you have 1, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. 1, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. Synergy. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. We are better together. We are stronger together. We will accomplish more together. And please understand this. Please understand this. You know, when we, we, we shut down for a couple of weeks and we're starting back up, and like I said during the announcement, it's going to take time to rebuild. You know, by the grace of God, we will rebuild. And by the grace of God, like, like I said during the announcements, we will, we, we're going to stand up like Nehemiah and say, let us rise up and build. And we're going to build for the glory of God. We're going to build uh, for the kingdom of God. We're going to reach people. But you know, what? We, I don't want to just rebuild to where we were two weeks ago. I don't want to just rebuild to where we were a couple of months ago. You know, let's rebuild and then let's just continue to build. And you say, what is the success, you know, the strength of the church? I remember Brother Stuggy said this to me one time. I thought it was very wise. He said, when you look at the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, when you see God numbering, you know, because in church world, we, we like to talk a lot about numbers, you know, how many are you running, you know, on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night or whatever. And, but Brother Stuckey mentioned this to me. He said, you know, when you look at God numbering the children of Israel to see how strong the nation of Israel was, you know, what he would number is he would number the soldiers. How many men were able to go out to war? Not to discount the women and children, but he would say the true strength, the true strength comes in where the soldiers are. You know, and he made this point to me. He said, is, is for church world, the equivalent, you know, sometimes people want to talk about, oh, look at that church. You know, they have a thousand people there on Sunday morning. But he, he said, you know, the real strength is how many people show up for soul winning? How many soldiers are there out there actually fighting the battle? The beautiful thing about spiritual warfare is that you don't have to be a 20-year-old man to go to war. Hey, you can be a 13-year-old kid. You can be a 16-year-old kid. You can be a lady. You can be an older man, a young man. We can all be involved in the work and the battle and the fight for God. And Brother Sucky said to me, you know, he said, he said, the strength of a church should really, you know, what pastors should talk about is how many soul winners do you have? I've always thought that was interesting. You know, we have 80 to 90 soul winners. And honestly, in a church our size to have that many soul winners is really unheard of. And, I mean, it's heard of in arts type of churches. But when you look at, for those of you that, you know, maybe grew up in a, in a Baptist church, an old IP church. I mean, I remember growing up in old IP churches. I was in the military, and I traveled a lot, and we went to different old IP churches. And the truth was this. You had a church of about 100 people, and you had five people show up for soul winning. I mean, that's the truth. If you had 10 people show up for soul winning in a church of 100 people, it was revival broke out. You know? And we, we, we our church we'll have like 40, 50% of our people out sowing. And I'm not saying that to, 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 to be proud. I'm just telling you this, that I believe, I believe that Verity, I hope you take this the right way. I believe that Verity Baptist Church has the potential to be one of the greatest churches that has ever existed. You say, well, yeah, you think really highly of yourself. It's not because of me, it's because of you. It's not because of any one person, but the whole can be greater than the sum of its parts. And look, think about this. If our church can get back to the place where we were just a couple of weeks ago, having 80 to 90 soul winners out soul winning every week, our church is, we're going to be 10 years old here in September. I mean, I'm, I'm 34 years old. If you don't kill me, you know, I could be in the minute, we could do, we'd be doing this for a long time. I mean, what if 10 years from now we had 200 soul winners out every week? 
What if 15 years from now we had uh, 300 soul winners out every week? What if 20 years from now, we, I mean, what if, we, what if we had a church here at Very Baptist? Maybe it's not a mega church with 3,000 people in it, but what if we had an army of 400, 500 soul winners just out every week preaching the gospel? What kind of impact could we make? What, kind of, what, what, what could be done for the cause of Christ? You say, what is that? It's synergy. It's the fact that the greater, that the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. That we can do more together than we can ever do alone. And it's not just soul winning. We will raise better children together. We will have stronger marriages together. We will have better finances. You think it's a, you think it's a, it's, it's a coincidence that our church has like 15 business owners in it? And I'm not saying that everybody needs to be a business owner. Obviously, we've got other people with careers and things. But you know what you think? The, the truth is this, iron sharpeneth iron. People show up to this church and they're like, I don't really have a job. I don't really have anything going on. I don't, you know, I have this job, but there's not a lot of future there. And they get around other people, other guys that are working hard, that are just out there killing it. And they get motivated, and they start doing the same thing. You say, why? Because the local church can help you in every area of your life. It'll make every area of your life better. It'll make every, your finances will get better. Your relationships will get better. Everything will be better. You say, why? What do you call that? You can call it revival. I like calling it revival. But today we're calling it synergy. What is it? The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. And you will do more. I will do more. We will accomplish more. And there'll be a greater reward. When we work together, Philippians 1, look at verse 27. Notice what the Apostle Paul says. We're done right here. He says this, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs. Notice what he says, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind. He says this, striving together for the faith of the gospel. What is that? Synergy. The whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the local New Testament church. And Lord, thank you for this local New Testament church. And Lord, thank you for the great and faithful church members that you've brought here. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to just get a vision of synergy. Lord, help us to get a vision. I look at these young people in our church, these teenagers that sit around the piano and sing praises to you, and nobody's forcing them. Nobody's making them. They, they, they love the Lord. They go soul winning. And I think synergy. They're better together. Lord, we're better together. And Lord, I pray you'd help us. I pray you'd help us to, to get involved, to do our part, to realize that we're a body part in a body that you've placed us, Lord. I pray that you would bless our church to be able to accomplish great things, Lord, in the areas of soul winning and in every other area. We love you. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.